So welcome to Blessed Child. I want to start this episode by defining consent based on the podcast episode on a little bit culty with Joyce Shorts about defining consent under the protection of the penal code and it's still a bit murky but to the best of my knowledge consent is freely given information and a knowledgeable agreement but let's break that down from a UC perspective. So the ultimate goal in the UC is the marriage blessing and in Reverend Moon's skewed idea of a loveless heteronormative arranged marriage consent simply isn't attainable. I had no idea what I was getting into when I attended the mass wedding and it was a coerced marriage ceremony. For starters, freely given information is definitely not done in an abstinence-only sex education. In fact, that is a gross miseducation and it's a very conditional learning environment. The second part of consent would be a knowledgeable agreement and based on the stories coming to light, we can see how insidious the stifling of agency, the stripping of autonomy, and privacy are in the UC. So, for example, when the average human being is discovering autonomy and intimacy, and what that means through play as a toddler, as a young adult, as a teenager, uh, they're gathering the knowledge vital to making real committed choices in relationships. They are, you know, it looks like play, but it's the fundamental building blocks of human development and, and knowing what a relationship is and what intimacy is. That would be knowledge for that you is vital for agreeing to a marriage but we know kids in the unification church were punished for curious play as toddlers for having friends for exploring intimacy and for even exploring themselves we knew so little about sex and love and relationships and intimacy and privacy and boundaries and there's no way i can say i agreed to the blessing with full knowledge of what a relationship even looked like so based on those fundamental building blocks of human development being stifled the steps needed towards becoming knowledgeable about anything that remotely looked like a relationship or intimacy that was impossible that's the opposite of knowledgeable it's completely in the dark no matter how many times the uc talks about sex and marriage and workshops and schools and whatever it doesn't make up for the lack of experience in actual relationship and because the second gen kids born into the cult are not allowed to develop properly as a whole person i hashtag underline boldface say that this is human trafficking. A knowledgeable agreement is absolutely out of the picture. Underline that with the millions in profits the UC makes from each blessing, like 20 million plus, we have a strong picture of what is really going on. And based on these findings, it definitely stands that the UC is a global human trafficking organization. At first, I thought it was just me, but the fact is that the church's cycle of violence is a real issue. Later on in these episodes, we'll hear the stories that trace back to even three years old when the claws of purity culture roadblock natural human development and crush any sense of agency, and that's just one example. And in this episode, we talk about the institutions. We talk about the labor trafficking, and it seems to circumvent purity culture when really it's the cherry on top. It's the last bit of thought reform that leads up to the blessing. It's 
to strip you of your concepts and your ability to register dangerous situations and the ability to trust yourself. So I want to give a trigger warning for the conversations to come. It's probably going to trigger a lot of memories for survivors, and I want to make sure you prioritize self-care and safety. With that, let's get started. So we're going to be talking about uh, injuries stemming from purity culture. I'd like to cover some injuries. So like looking back, it's kind of like a fever dream, but you know, you still carry those with you. Yeah. And I guess uh, this this panel is to really let us know that we're not alone in that and that, that they can heal and be overcome. And I think the power of connecting with other people and really validating those experiences is a big step in healing. So we'll go around and introduce uh, ourselves so you know the voice to the story. Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm Janae. <laughs> Should I share anything else? <laughs> that, that's fine if that's what you're comfortable with. Okay. And we have our beloved Becca joining again from episode one. Hi, this is Becca, still from Germany. <laughs> and we have Kale. Hi, I'm Kale. Um, I use they, them pronouns. I grew up in California. Very cool. <laughs> hi, <laughs> I'm Victoria. Hey, Victoria. I'm, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to meet you too. I'm currently in Connecticut, but I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So, um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Cool, cool. Wow, I, I had no idea you were in Connecticut. Yeah, do you happen to be <laughs> about the compound in Connecticut? Um, about twenty minutes away. So oh, I, no. I did live there. I did go to the. Uh, it used to be um, NEA New Eden Academy, but by the time I went there, because I'm twenty five, so by the time I went there, it was rebranded as Bridgeport International Academy. So yes, I, I am. I was relocated there when I was 16 or I was sent. I was basically sent there because I was the only one from my family, you know, kind of like how people were sent to Goth, I guess. But yeah, I ended up meeting, meeting uh, someone out here. And so I'm still living in the area actually, but I live with my boyfriend. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Congratulations on getting out. BIA is, yeah. um, BIA is a big story. (laughs) Yeah. For sure, for sure. And I, I think definitely, um, even though they say they're, um, I can't think of the term right now, like not a denomination, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, they still, you know, most of the staff there are, or if not all are, are related to, you know, the, the Moonies or mo- I think pretty much all of them are either first or second gen who work there now, um, you know, at varying levels of faith. I used to work there as well in the office just like after I graduated high school. So yeah, I do may I maybe have a little more to share about that. <laughs> I think these institutions uh, of school yeah. of education are super important to talk about. I actually went to that school as well at 16. <gasps> no way. Oh yeah. My <laughs> so so we can really dive into like the type of policing that was done there. Oh um, my god. Yeah. The types of things that mm-hmm. reinforce, you know, purity culture and the patriarchy, even mm-hmm. though it's like not related to it's not supposed to be a, a, a Mooney school but it completely and totally was um, for sure yeah so when I was at BIA I remember the teachers policing us like we couldn't date openly obviously couldn't have you know relationships with anyone else right um, yeah which isn't a thing a normal school should be policing like inter like relationships that's not something a, a private school should be policing but that was very much enforced did you 
experienced that? Oh, yeah. It's, um, I'm pretty sure it's still, as far as I know, it's still going on. But I don't know if it works um, <laughs> 100% of the time. But yes, they. it's still like a rule there. Um, actually, I, I won't say who, but someone that I know was in, you know, they almost got kicked out for because they were found out just that they were supposedly in a relationship with somebody, which they, um, they were, but it's like, um, you know, someone who's living in the, so this school is, um, they have dorms. So there's kids who come there from like all over the world. And this person like lived in another country too. So it's, you know, pretty big deal if they were to just get kicked out just for, just for having a relationship with somebody at 16. Yeah. You know, a very normal. That's part of yeah. development. <laughs> And that goes for, there's, um, you know, back in, I don't know if it was like that when you were there, but there's kids who are second gen and there's kids like who are Moonies and there's kids who are not Moonies that go there. And I think it's probably less than half now, but when I was there, it was still about half and half. About half of us were like all grown up in the, in the UC. And so it, but it goes for everyone that rule, like even people who, might not be religious. You're not allowed to date anyone. Yeah. About like, I was actually yeah. going to ask yeah. that. Yeah. The yeah. students yeah. who apply to not the non moonies as well. Yeah. Like, why are they there? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> I think no, a lot of them don't even know. <laughs> that was a situation when I was there, but you have to think about the demographics of Bridgeport. It's like the highest crime per capita in, in Connecticut. And so, yeah. like, if you wanted to get out of the corrupt schools, Bridgeport okay. International Academy is one of the only options for like a safe school. Like for instance, my brothers tried to go to the public school that was down the road um, and the teacher was sleeping with the students for grades. So like that's, it's either this or, or a cult school where there's no sex. It's either like yeah. sexual abuse <laughs> from the teachers or no sex at all. And so like the, the people that can afford it will send their kids to BIA, not knowing that they're like getting introduced into like extreme theology. Mm. I'm sure that also didn't yeah, for sure. make your parents oh. feel very good hearing that from the public school. That outside world is so evil. The teachers sleep oh, with yeah. students. Oh, uh, yeah. It reinforces you think that's normal. And so you're like, oh, but Bridgeport International Academy is like heavenly and God chosen and we're above the rest. And and it, it was really damaging because like these are natural feel Feelings are natural and kids are going to naturally have them because emotions are human thing to explore but when the yeah. teachers were policing who we could have relationships with we would do really dangerous shit like uh steal some liquor and go to the beach at like three in the morning <laughs> and get shit face drunk on, on the beach and like fall asleep in like public places did you did you experience stuff like that um i i would say yeah <laughs> i mean when i lived in they moved us my grade by the time i was a senior into a newer dorm that didn't have back doors. Did you live in that old dorm? Just, I just Lafayette. that had that had back doors on Lafayette. Been in all those buildings. <laughs> the one on yeah. Oh my god. Um yeah, no. We used to sneak out the back door. There's like there's like a main door to the dorm that goes into the rest of the school and you're on, the girls dorm was on the same floor as as the school when I was there. Um and there's like a back door in everybody's rooms in the dorm that locks from the inside. So you could just unlock it at night and just go out in this hallway. Like you could just literally leave. It's so unsafe for, for kids. 
Like I, I see that like at the time I was like, oh, this is awesome. I have so much freedom. I can do whatever I want, you know, like just go and have adventures at midnight. But it's like, and they, they check curfew once the um, people in charge of the dorms, they check it around like 10 p.m. And then like we could just sneak out after that because we knew they weren't coming back. Wow, that yeah. is so unsafe. I, it's so funny. I did not come on here thinking I was going to talk about this, but well, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so a real oh. this specifically. Yeah, no. I mean, it's just to say there's so much more, you know, that there's yeah. so many other traumatic things that go on in the UC. So it's just like this it, didn't it even occur of, to me. Yeah, it kind of makes me think. I used to think it was like strange, like like before it was BIA, it was like at NEA, right? New Eden. Yeah, yeah. New and then everybody, like the parents sent their like kids who they couldn't like handle <laughs> um, to, to get them like whipped into shape or whatever at these church schools. But it's like you throw all these like hormonal teenagers together <laughs> um, and, and then there's not like a whole lot of actual supervision. Like, um, you know, what do you expect? <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I, it just never like made a whole lot of logical sense. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then I they're think... just like, don't have sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't and have you sex. Just, you can just sneak out. <laughs> you but sneak you out have plenty of freedom and opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's really important to talk about the a- academic side because like what other cults mm. establish like seed schools all across the world like what other cult makes it so important to educate the youth i mean brainwash the youth reverend moon put so much pressure on educating and starting schools that these people would start schools in their basement and like travel around or i mean these schools that were not up to code or standard would just pop up out of nowhere and be call it call it new eden or new hope or bridgeport internet whatever you want to call it it's like it's a cult front it's so important to talk about because like all of these schools they might be called something different but the damage is the same like you had a lot of kids in an unsafe situation that were getting miseducation that were not being sh- chaperoned or guarded right and like a lot of dangerous stuff happened at bia or nea or gop or new hope or bta like l- i can name i can go on i mean to be honest the schools or the the programs after school as well like nga uh, GPA, SDF, whatever SDF, you want to call them. Yeah. Right. I'm sure it's interesting because like the, the kids that were struggling, struggling, you know, church term, got sent to these schools that were residential programs. And then the good kids would go to SDF or NGA and then they would have the same kind of indoctrination experience. Yeah. It was, was it just priming us? Like it's, it seems super genius for a megalomaniac, like sociopath cult leader to be like, yeah, get all the kids in the same program, have them group think, have them hive think, have them think it's normal to be separated from their families, to live in mm. these dorm-like situations, compound, commune living, really, with like so little privacy. You can't even, your emotions are policed from the get-go. No relationship. Have them report on each other. Have them report on each other and then just streamline them into like STF and being labor trafficked. And then after that, it's like get marriage trafficked and then do the seven year course for CARP and and multiply and get other members. And it's just like that is that is real step like that is really that I think it's important to talk about. I, I mean, I think I think in general, like with cults or co- course of control, like you do want to kind of weaken family bonds. And there was I mean, even just the idea of like true parents, they're your real parents, you know, like, 
uh, your your biological parents like they're you know they're there take care of like some of the basics or whatever but like ideologically like they reverend and mrs moon were the real like authorities i suppose yeah a lot of parents kind of abdicated any sense of real responsibility for raising their children often they would send them off to church things at least at the very least church like workshops or camps or whatnot to be educated right because they didn't know how to do it properly or whatever but then yeah there was much you know longer programs such as the schools as well as the programs like STF and and NG and so on. When you said schools, like it triggered a memory for me. Mm -hmm. Is that something? Yeah, I went to these schools and I noticed that unlike college and they didn't really train us for critical thinking, like the essays were very guided. Did you notice that? Like they would give you topics and then how to talk about it and how to agree with it instead of like, what's your opinion? Like the framework of an essay. Like in colleges, state your opinion, base it with facts, show the research. But like, I didn't, I don't think I experienced that in BIA. I only Did went any- to for, for a year and it was like seventh grade. So um, I don't think I learned a whole lot. <laughs> the main thing was like learning Korean then. So, and I, I wasn't the best at that. So yeah, I don't remember the curriculum so much at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like I had a, the best education over at BIA, you know, um, but I, I wouldn't say that by the time I was there, we were still just like, I heard someone talk about it on Elgin's podcast, um, NEA, like they just learned Korean and it was like very, very small. And I don't know, all the teachers were like very unofficial. I would say like, maybe they've gotten a little bit more credible but I still wouldn't say it was anything like what they advertise which is like a world-class education kind of at least when when my parents sent me there the video um I remember like it was just so different I had no idea Ridgefort was even a ghetto like I was from oh no like I had I had no concept about it (laughs) it makes me think Um, of so it's still Church yeah, propaganda yeah. videos that they would be like, we're, <laughs> we're yeah. celebrating and saving the world. <laughs> and you're like, wait, it's just like a ragtag bunch of like church members. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scrapping things together. <laughs> Bridgeport is so unsafe. I've gotten chased there like so many times. Did, did you oh, ever yeah. get like, people are getting mugged, like going to school. Oh. Yeah. Um, and I lived there actually I graduated there and I didn't really have any experiences of like being followed that I really remember or maybe maybe I did um but I went and I lived there after I did a church program in Europe called Dunn um (laughs) actually and I came I ended up coming back to Bridgeport after that because I didn't want to live at my parents house so I I ended up going to the community college there because it was cheaper than going to UB. So it was free to go to the community college. But I ended up living in the BIA building again and walking to the community college through Bridgeport. And it was definitely dangerous um, (laughs) doing that for sure. But, but just being there as like a, you know, a 16 year old girl from, I'm kind of from like the countryside. Like I had no, I had no awareness of, how to be in an, in an area where there's like high crime or anything like that had uh, it was just yeah <laughs> it's not good oh. it makes me think of like I, I did STF and like sometimes we would get dropped off in these very 
unsafe neighborhoods and there's like everything's got bars on the windows and such and and I'd be you know walking around by myself for like an hour or two or whatever trying to sell stuff to random people and I was like this doesn't feel safe but I'm doing God's work so I like (laughs) there was no sense of like there was this like the magical thinking right like oh I'm gonna be protected because I'm doing something for the providence or whatever uh. <laughs> or like if if evil presents itself you'll just love it away something yeah it's just it just completely yeah. teaches young people to disregard um you know their own sense of awareness like hey this situation might be dangerous um you know this like it just it just completely teaches people to disregard that their own um like built in alarm system yeah, yeah. Yes. and they're in their own well-being of course yeah Oh, you mean like like calling it something that it's not like an international education like world class oh I mean from the the fundraising it's like oh yeah. you know teaching teaching you to have no concepts like that's just dangerous yes <laughs> teaching you to have no critical no concepts yeah well, <laughs> how did they strip that from us because I, I feel the same, like I was put in dangerous situations and my red flags would not go off. I mean, and if you're saying you you both experienced that, I experienced that too. How did that, how did that happen? Was it with the schools and not teaching critical thinking or was it something direct? I feel like it was so many things, you know, like in, in different ways. But um, first of all, like, I guess with STF, it's like you 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 have to like completely dissociate from any sense of like, rational thinking like I I remember like feeling like when I started fundraising I was like this I hate this you know like I absolutely like wanted to like crawl out of my skin it was like so unpleasant but then I was like but this is what I'm supposed to be doing because it's because I've just been so indoctrinated right like I I felt like I I was bad if I didn't you know like I was disloyal or unfaithful or like selfish and so you're like, all this programming is like, you have to, you you can't think about yourself and you can't actually have an opinion. Like you have to just subjugate any emotions or, you know, re- feelings of like, I don't want to do this and then override that and do it. If you're going to be considered like a faithful, you know, whatever person, a good think- daughter of all those things. Um it might probably not help that if anything bad did happen and bad things did happen um, during uh, STF and fundraising throughout the decades, there's a list um, of people that were harmed during this. Whenever that would happen, no one would talk about it. Like um, I asked my mom um, and she knew of two people that were assaulted um, during her time. And um, she didn't want to talk about it with me. And she felt like I was drudging up the past. And she like it, it took a while for her to understand that in our generation talking about this and bringing these things to light, it makes it safer for the people who are out there now. Because as long as we pretend that nothing is happening, you know, it's going to happen again. But that I think it created this false sense of security for people who are on the streets selling stuff and talking to people because you like our generation, we never heard that bad things happened. 
you know, we weren't in the U.S. <laughs> and I think Even when, when that very media intensive thing happened, when was it 2005, I think? I was out already mm -hmm. and I, I didn't even hear about this here in, the, in Germany. Bad things happen. Like they just explained it away with some like spiritual reasoning. Like, oh, this person's death was a sacrifice for the providence because of this and that. Or like, and it, you know, and then it was kind of explained away and nothing was done about it. Or like, and then after it just kind of like got shoved to the side or whatever, but Like I was on STF when someone got murdered, you know, um, and yeah, it was just kind of like, oh yeah, it's for providential reasons, the spiritual sacrifice. And it's like, no, this like completely didn't have to happen, you know, but they never address that. Actually, I have video tape of Reverend Moon addressing the murder, the mur well, not addressing the specific murder, but it's at the same time. I think it's 2004, 2005. He's giving a speech saying bad things have happened to use the members. Bad things have happened, murders or death. And it's spirit world. It's spirit world and yeah, it's yeah. punishment because you're not listening to me, basically. He was like, because you need to get the marriage blessing. Either alive or dead, you're going to get it. And if you don't get it, bad things are going to start happening like this. So they, he would address the bad things you know, very vaguely and then, and then twist it and say, and this is what's going to happen if you don't get the marriage. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't get the marriage blessing. Yeah. And he would use these scare taxes and we were kids and like, we're in this very like community based environment and bad things are really happening. because around the time that she was murdered, there was also another death um, on the East, two more deaths on the East coast from accidents, negligence. I don't know really what happened, but there was a few deaths all in the same time frame and so they addressed that and 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 scared the shit out of all these kids while invalidating our grief about about losing our friends invalidating the danger and the negligence that we were in and then twisting it and so it was addressed to us in one way and then on the media i was looking in the media they say well she wasn't going with the protocol she went off on her own she was supposed to be in yeah reverend shanker is stated talking to the media saying one thing and victim blaming essentially um and saying if there's a fault with the way that we fundraise we will change it but only if we find a fault hey everybody i just wanted to pause to let you know i linked in the show notes the article of reverend schenker victim blaming this young lady who was murdered in 2002 on sdf selling trinkets for reverend moon in january i researched this incident and it was a lot easier to find articles but for some reason now november a lot of these articles are broken not loading so please check out the link below that I've attached, while it still works, if you're on the edge or you think we're talking in hyperbole, these realities were very real, the victim blaming and the gaslighting and the weaponization of grief. Um, so this tragedy happened in 2002, and then there was following deaths and accidents, and it was a really hard time. And then in 2005, I found the video of Reverend Moon addressing second-gen members and saying that if we stray from his heavenly path, um, that we will be punished by by heavenly spirit world, and that basically his word is God. He 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 said, yeah, he's, he's God, and um, that the theology is is the only way. So You know, we believed him. This is all evidence-based. If you're on the edge about Reverend Moon being a sadistic fucker, then just watch this link below and it'll really, you know, drive it home that this guy is definitely not a 
a messiah. He's a fucking narcissist. And um, yeah, the whole church is corrupt. And this is how they really treat their members. And please, uh, yeah, I did a lot of research to gather all this stuff. So just follow the show notes. And uh, this is a very real, this is very real. And it's not okay. It's not. And they never changed any protocol on SCF. I, I think they, they, they did change it to like, um, you had at least the females had to fundraise and partners. But before that, I, I remember just doing it by myself everywhere. In really My awesome. mom's generation had to do it um, in two by two as well. That didn't okay. stop anyone because my mom mm-hmm. said that um, they would walk blocks and would meet in the middle of the road again. And mm-hmm. this one time, her friend just didn't show up for hours. So, yeah, that like it's not safe, period. It's not a safe practice at all. Like a group of men could just easily overpower two women. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I was going to say there are people um, while I was fundraising that would come up to me and be like, you don't seem like you're safe. At one point, I think I was on the phone with my uh, then girlfriend, like, you know, taking a break, like being a bad kid. And the the fire truck pulled up and people were like, they thought you were dead. They thought you were a dead body. Because I was like lying in this grassy area. Uh. It was Riverside, California, if you know anything about Riverside. Um it's a college town that kind of looks glitzy, but like there's like a deep history of like gangs and crime and violence, mm-hmm. poverty, you know? Yeah. Um, but I was going to say that um, I think it's interesting because they really did sell as children the outside world to be so dangerous. And then as soon as you're doing public work, it's like those thoughts it of danger matter. don't matter. Yeah. That is such a good point. Like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, then, then you had to like, they I, I i'm trying to think of like what tactics they use to like get you from being afraid of everything and not trusting anything and then suddenly like i mean i think you you just it was the magical thinking the feeling like oh i have heavenly protection spiritual world is protecting me as long as i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing i'll be safe you know well or the risk I, is worth it or the they, risk is worth it i i should sacrifice myself whatever <laughs> The specific words I remember is restoration. You are now, you know, in a place where you can restore money. If you get it from people, you can bless them by getting even a dollar, whatever they give you. That's a chance for restoration for them. Just labor trafficking. Those, The way way it was sold to me and like, it it was like, it was a condition, a spiritual condition that people are making. Um, And although it was like a tiny token of like a representation of like giving to the like God's providence or something like you were actually helping them create a good spiritual condition for them to hopefully eventually, you know, be able to like join the church or, or something like, and get blessed in the future, maybe their descendants or something like it was just, and I was like, okay, I guess that's what's happening. <laughs> were any of you, any of you trained to learn incredibly <laughs> sleep deprived and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, do you guys know what flirty fishing is? Um, It's a cult tactic where you flirt with people to get them to join. It's a really common narrative. Like that's how Steve Hassan joined the Moonies. Um, But low key, like they trained us to flirt with people while we were fundraising, which was like putting us directly in danger because we were children who didn't know anything about sex and how to like 
make a pass at someone because we were taught to not even look at the opposite or same sex, depending on who you are. And um, yeah, I, I had a friend who was just constantly flirting and we had to kind of be like, hey, you got to like tone it down a little bit. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Just no awareness that like the eye contact and the body language were communicating. Hi, I'm available. Um, do you want to buy my foil print? <laughs> And I, I have, never did that. Yeah, but. I have no idea if I ever came off as flirting or not. Like, I, I would definitely have, like, literally no awareness. But I, I just remember, like, kind of being childlike when I would approach people. <laughs> like, please, <laughs> help me. <laughs> I, I remember getting hit on a lot when I was fundraising in Australia. And it being extremely uncomfortable because they have this... Uh, culture where they the workers all take breaks at like two o'clock in the afternoon to drink beer <laughs> it was different so I'd be out on my run and I'd run into like a group of men just like oh a group oh. of, like at the bar drinking and they'd like kind of pressure me into like I thought I would get the buy if I drank a beer with them because at 18 you can drink in Australia so I found myself like drinking a beer with a bunch of guys, like completely alone. Yes, they said fundraise with two, but that never was implemented. I would find myself drinking in a bar with these guys, hoping I would get a sale. Like, that's just like, I mean, it, it was kind of fun. It was really awkward. Um, and I had no idea about like sex or that this was like maybe trying to get dangerous. Yeah, dangerous. It was dangerous. And it's something that I did quite a bit i would at two o'clock you know the guys would take a break i'd go find the workers and try to sell them chocolate bars and i'd be by myself and i'd get a drink and uh yeah i'd usually crush out like that was a tactic i'd usually sell a shit ton of chocolate or bookmarks um but like i would specifically target at two o'clock two or three when they would take take a break and put it, myself in dangerous situations this for brings a back a memory for me like one time I did actually, like, I was trying to sell whatever the product was. And the person was like, oh, I don't have my money here or something. I actually went in their car with them. Um, anyways, thankfully, it wasn't a serial murderer. Um, but afterwards, he was like, you know, that's, like, not safe for you to, like, <laughs> hop into a stranger's car. And I was like, oh, I never even thought of, like, oops, maybe that was a bad idea. But, like. And I didn't after that. I mean, I don't think anybody asked me, but it was like, yeah, I would go into people's houses. I would, I did at least that one time go into somebody's car and it was just like, there was no sense of like self-preservation or self-regard. Like it was just, I have to do my mission. It was so bad. It's just, I, you know, I was talking with my mom who did seven years of MFT and she knows, I believe two women that were raped. She knows of people that, were in car accidents and passed away or got paralyzed. There was so many times where there was a red flag that this wasn't okay in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties. And here we are in 2021, they're fundraising under the terms GPA. I mean, I'm still processing all the things, all the dangerous shit I did mm -hmm. <laughs> making money for Reverend Moon. Cause that's exactly what it was. It was labor trafficking. It, this isn't like spiritual victory points or whatever the money lining that I raised. <laughs> yeah. It lined the we pockets. Of, people's pockets. Like that was what we were really doing. Yeah. And colonizing. 
this is all very like it seems like it's all chopped up but it's actually i mean we're going from education to commune thinking and group thinking to stripping of autonomy and privacy and freedom to labor trafficking it sounds all chopped up but it's actually very like part of this one way narrow road that we were all programmed to do yeah and the next step and the next step was the blessing like I mean, I think, sorry, I'm going to diverge, but like when you mentioned about like how there were, yeah, people were raped or assaulted um, on while they were on MFT or whatnot, like, I think there was that whole like thing with the purity knife, right? Like if, if you were going to be raped, like it would be better to kill yourself. Um, And I, it's, it just like, I think back to me, a younger version of me, like, would I have if I had been, you know, like sexually assaulted on STF, like how would I have interpreted that? And like, and then I, I've been fortunate not to have gone through an experience like that, but I'm sure so many have. And like, it's, it's just such a warped, it, the, the, the level of victim blaming, like, or the, the sense of like, your life is less important than like, than whether you've, had sex or not like (laughs) even when it was not your fault like even though somebody else raped you it's still like worse than like actual death you know and that's just the way of perspective you know just it's really harmful and really damaging psychologically so i wanted to take a second and pause what janae just said is like that psychological injury like what does that do to a person i wanted to jump back to the first episode on purity culture with mother's milk when Misuk said there was a secondary emotional injury. And I think that that is, that couldn't be understood more. Um, There's a secondary psychological injury that happens when you are victim blamed and nobody supports you. Um, And I think exploring that more and reflecting on that, it's a, a lack of support system and thinking that you have to do everything on your own and and just be very guarded and not trust anybody, which is super damaging psychologically speaking. I wanted to highlight that. That's from personal experience. There's probably a plethora of secondary injuries that I can't even begin to comprehend, but I wanted to highlight that the secondary psychological and emotional injuries from being victim blamed in purity culture are very real. If you are going through those, it's important to find a support group that accepts you. And I think that's a very big step on healing. And I hope you find it. And seeking help is not a weakness. It's a strength that you're willing to heal. And healing is not easy. So if you need to find some help, please reach out to someone um, that you trust or find a therapist or specialist that can help you. Um. I was wondering, actually, if you guys were up for talking about the concept of virginity for a bit. Yeah, Um, because I learned last year that the hymen is not really what we learned what it is. And um, I don't know if you guys know, you probably do, um, but there's like a lot of types of hymen. And there are some that cover the whole entrance, but most really don't it's just like a crescent shaped barrier Mm. on the bottom of the vaginal entrance and it's fairly rigid when you are born but it gets more elastic the older you get so it 
and it's not it doesn't have a purpose it's just residue from you being made it's just, it's just mucus mucus membrane basically and um it doesn't have to tear during intercourse even it doesn't have to be punctured so popping the cherry is just people being unnecessarily rough <laughs> and um also it can break during other activities like horseback riding or doing the splits or using a tampon <laughs> um so the whole thing around the concept of losing the virginity is highly just problematic and utter bullshit if we're honest about it yeah. and um, like you said yeah bleeding during sex is a sign that there's not enough lubrication if you are bleeding yes. you need more lube yes 100% and also it's super heteronormative and very very sexist like they define penis and vagina penetrative sex as sex and everything else is not i guess oh my so god yes that is that is very very heteronormative and just dismisses anyone that does other stuff yeah yeah i was going to say i was talking to my roommate about this who is um he's uh in his mid 30s but he's a survivor of uh, jehovah's witnesses and we were talking about like our first sexual experiences and he said after he and his girlfriend who was also a JW had like had a, a heavy pet petting session they were like on the train and she goes i can't believe i'm not a virgin anymore and he was like we didn't have sex but like they had never talked about what they thought sex was or where that line was for them and like that's something we're never trained to do and it's still complicated as an adult for, to talk about that and like what is hooking up like is hooking up making out is hooking up like digital penetration what is it <laughs> i was watching sex education on netflix and uh, the girl was talking about hooking up as just making out <laughs> but like in my effort to be sexual with while avoiding actual penetration i think i did some non-consensual things i think for for me like i was so extreme i was i don't know i i think i was set up in many ways to be kind of like i i, I was left at a church nursery for three years. Um, and my first memory is when my parents came to pick me up. Um, so I, I honestly, I'm sure that like that sense of like abandonment was so, so deeply like rooted, um, from time. Like I didn't want to like detour from like the path laid of before me, you know, very, very adamantly by my parents and by the church community um, because it meant I would, you know, be ostracized. Right. Like I didn't want that to happen. And like, for me, even like um, it not, not even like, like actually doing stuff, but even like having a crush was like completely not okay. And my, I, I, there was a point where like, I, I had a friend, I had a couple of friends um, who were boys that I called on the phone just to talk. And, and one of them, their mom didn't appreciate me calling. <laughs> so his mom called my mom and was like, uh, your daughter's like calling my son. And I don't, I don't want her to call anymore and stuff. And my mom like was so angry and didn't talk to me for three days. Like she just shut me out. And I was just like, I really did something wrong just for like having a friend who was a boy, you know, like not, in, I, it was like, 
it was so extreme. And I, I really resonated with what you said, um, Renee, in the first episode about like emotional castration. Like I was like, I can't even like, even like liking somebody is like wrong, like, or like interacting too much with somebody of the opposite sex is really evil, you know? And so like, I never, like, if I did, I, I did have crushes on people, but like, if I did, I would make, I would train myself to like, see everything wrong with them like nitpick every little flaw until I didn't like them until I hated them or like I forced myself to hate their guts even if I like there was no reason to but like it was so dangerous for me to even have a crush it it felt so I mean I think it's tied to that that sense of like yeah abandonment or like if I do anything wrong in this in this domain then I will be like kicked out of, I, I don't know, not necessarily kicked out of my family, but like my mom won't talk to me anymore. Or like, we will all mark you uh, with the scarlet letter. I mean, we will all exactly. mark you. We'll know. Yeah. Everybody will know. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, um, it went something so like that, like to that level where I was just like terrified to, to even feel anything. <laughs> like these are things that are supposed to make you feel joy, feeling, you know, falling in love, having a crush appreciating a human but then like when you replace those natural urges with like shame and guilt the things that you're supposed to love and bring you joy they just bring you pain yeah fear and like shame and I think of it a lot as like in terms of like a something to compare it to a metaphor whatever it's like our sexual development like our emotional sexual all of it whatever development it was constricted, right? It was, it was not allowed to actually develop normally. Um, and in the same way, like that, like, let's say foot binding, like as a practice, if, if you bind somebody's foot, like from when they're an infant, the, their foot can't grow and it gets distorted. And like, and I just feel like, yeah, like that, that sense of like putting so much shame on, onto something that's so natural is really, really scarring and damaging. And it's, it takes a lot to like untangle that, you know? Yeah. I was, um, unfortunately, I was just thinking, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just, unfortunately, it's not permanent. Like we're not morphed, like, you know, the foot binding foot into yeah, permanent yeah, yeah. Yeah. sexuality yeah. is not a gumball to be consumed. It's more like an everlasting gobstopper. Like it can just keep on giving. <laughs> um, I was just thinking of that term, first love trauma. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're all familiar with that. Um, there's a good article on Jen Kiaba's blog about it. I could relate to that really, really well. And um, I think that is something that me personally, I'm like super messed up because of that. Um, I had a 10 year long lasting um, committed monogamous hetero relationship. And um, we're still friends, and he's amazing, and I love him still um, as a friend. Um, But even when I was the happiest, and I think especially when I was the happiest, um, it would freak me out. (laughs) I would get anxiety attacks um, because my brain would be conditioned into thinking being in love is dangerous and feeling love for a person my body was just reacting with a lot of stress and anxiety. And um, I would interpret it like my mind would do shit. (laughs) Like I would rush back from work 
and I had the early morning shift. Um, so I would rush back to from work around like 3 p.m. while he was still in office. And if he wouldn't pick up the phone or just not reply to my text immediately, I was convinced. I knew, I knew that he was lying dead in bed. Like I would rush home and rip up the covers <laughs> just to make sure that he didn't die overnight and I just missed it or something. Um, or if like, even after we broke up, I had this weird moment when um, a number called my cell phone and I could see the number, but I didn't know the number. I just could see the first few digits. And it was the town that he used, he and I used to live in together and he was still living there. So I was like, my brain, my first instinct was like, oh, this is just a hospital. It's a hospital in this town. And of course I am still his emergency contact. So they're now calling me. <laughs> Because he, he had an accident or he lies in a coma or something. It was fine. It had nothing to do with him. But my first reaction was just like, mm, it's not good. And yeah. even if like now that I know what it is, I can deal with it way better. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I'm very much in love with this person right now. And um, my, like after the first couple of nights we spent together everything was fine when that person was with me but then when they left I I had freakouts like I would cry and I was so convinced that this is going to implode and blow up in my face soon <laughs> so I better get used to not seeing them again yeah I, and, I uh, had similar yeah. kind of thoughts um I remember like if I ever did consider like possibly dating someone or something I remember thinking like oh for sure even if you know, it, it worked out or whatever, like they would just die in some horrible accident. And then I would be left with nothing, you know, like I'd already severed my ties with everybody. And, and then this person dies and it was for nothing, you know, like I had these kind of, yeah. So that, um, that kept me in. <laughs> why is this a thing? I have the same thing with my husband. I'll like look over and if he's not breathing, I'm like, wake up. And he's like, what? I was sleeping. <laughs> Why is this a thing? Is this the divine punishment for leaving the church? They told us we'd implode. I, I, feel, like, I feel like there was yeah. so much, right. Fear tactics, like, like spirit world's always there. It's always going to catch up with you. You know, like you do the wrong thing and, and you're going to be smote. <laughs> <laughs> smote. This is a good word. Smited. Smited. I don't um, know how you say it. <laughs> I'm no, I so think it's cute. correct. Yeah. It, okay, so this is three out of five. How about you two? Have y'all experienced this? Yeah, I was gonna say me too. Oh, you know, um, I <laughs> I live with my partner, and I realized actually early on when we moved in together that I would kind of feel really anxious. Like anytime he went to work, and if I wasn't working that day, I was home. Like I would feel anxious, and I'm like thinking, like, is this like what kids get when their parent leaves, and it's like separation anxiety, you know? And I never experienced that as a kid but I I felt like it's like the same kind of symptoms that were outlined as having you know just so much unreasonable fear and like imagining them and getting into car accidents or like just never coming back like a fear of abandonment really um I definitely experienced that and still experience that from time to time um but has it's gotten better <laughs> um yeah Oh. I remember my first instance with um, a real solid example of 
my fear of abandonment coming up, but Kale, did you experience? Um, to a minor extent. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with like, again, this training that you have to have one partner and like, if you lose that partner, you're done. And even oh. if we don't believe that That's at true. all yeah. as like cognizant adults who are like, in trusting and relationships where you like, you know, that the person's going to be okay. That still is triggered. Like if I lose them, I've got nothing. Mm. Um, I am having my mind blown now, Becca, that you address that, that fear of what is it when everything is too good to be true? It, yeah. It's, I, I, um, my brain basically tells me I don't deserve happy and I just uh, don't deserve good things. I, I know that it's bullshit because I don't believe in any of this anymore. Like I don't believe in the spirit world. I don't believe in heavenly punishment or whatever, but still <laughs> like there's this tiny little voice in my head. That's like, nah, this is too good. This can't be, this can't be either lasting or real. Okay. I wanted to pause and just insert Jen Kiaba's blog post on first love trauma. It's really great. I'm going to include it in the show notes. What we've all kind of said is like an intersection of surviving purity culture, first love trauma, and then, like Janae said, uh, fear of abandonment and attachment style issues. And I want to highlight how amazing the brain is. Once you look at issues, you can reframe it and you can heal. But it's important that these are patterns that happen in each of our lives in its own way to its own extent. But once you acknowledge that this is kind of a social construct within the Unification Church, you can fix it, you can heal. So I think it's really important that we highlight that part and let's get back to the panel. Yeah, telling, um, I don't know if this is kind of switching gears, but I feel like telling kids that there's a spirit world full of evil spirits that are gonna come and get you is not a healthy thing. <laughs> um, you know, like <laughs> it, it just kind of, I feel like that's kind of what primed me to be to just be following whatever the church was doing not even just the fact that there's the community and my family you know following moon but it's like oh my god there's this super scary you know invisible force that's gonna come and like eat me alive if I don't you know I, I remember like my mom telling me once I don't know if this is just me but I remember her telling me that because while we're here on earth, we're like restoring previous ancestors and like other random people. And like, I kind of, this, my memory was triggered by what someone had said in your last podcast about your, your spirit turning gray every time you, you masturbate, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but was um, she was saying that there's all these ancestors and they latch onto your physical, like your spirit being or whatever. And like when you die, they all just get released because you're no longer alive. They can't restore the themselves anymore through you. And you're just left like an empty corn on the cob. And I'm like, you know, she, the way she said it is like, this is already happening. Like, this is just how it is. And I, you know, I must've been like seven or eight. And that's just like such a terrifying image to put in a kid's head. Yeah, And I don't know, you know, it's just, I don't know if everyone heard that or if it was just me, but I feel like those kinds of things were told a lot, just really scary, terrifying things. Um, you know, I used to have like, up until pretty recently, so, you know, they might come back, I used to have really, really bad nightmares or just like really a hard time falling asleep at night in general, just like the second I go to bed, you know, um, 
a racing heartbeat and just like being hyper vigilant, being able to hear every sound in the house um, while, you know, my partner is able to just go to sleep <laughs> right away. Um, and I even, I even had a panic attack one time um, just from, just from listening to the sounds in my house. And um, it wasn't until I really, um, I stumbled upon a book called about CPTSD from surviving to thriving by Pete yeah. Walker. Yes. Yeah. And, and so I started to talk to my inner child, you know, like, it's okay. Like you're in the dark, but there's no evil spirits. Like they're, you know, they don't exist. Like, you know, these things, it's okay. Like, and just kind of telling myself the things that I needed to hear as a kid, feeling abandoned, kind of just alone in the dark, which for some reason, it just helped me go to sleep. And I, I, since that day, I haven't actually had any trouble falling asleep. And so I think there's just like a lot of unresolved, um, at least for me, a lot of unresolved, like, feelings of just shame and fear and that are just so attached to this belief in like a spiritual world that's going to and a God that's going to smite you, you know, if you don't do everything exactly in order with what Moon says. I wanted to stop there just to highlight what Victoria said. Uh, she really gave powerful insight on self-soothing and the transitory step from leaving the church and the magical thinking that was instilled in us as kids for the spirit world and, and a, a way to overcome that because it's it's so real. The fear is so real. The anxiety is so real. And it wasn't just her alone. Um, this is a huge step when leaving the church. There, It's not just you don't you don't just switch off a light and be like, okay, I don't believe anymore. There's like very real steps to leaving. And part of the deconstruction is to get rid of these, the magical thinking and spirit world. Because uh, that has so much power over you. It can induce anxiety attacks and panic attacks. But once you realize that it's a real thing and it's a fear, and that's all it is, it's a, a fear that was deeply planted in you then you can reframe it and you can talk to your inner child. You can talk to your your subconscious mind and tell them that it's okay. And I'm so impressed with how Victoria could just acknowledge that it was a fear that was causing severe anxiety. And just by engaging in self-talk with herself, she could heal that. And I think that is such a powerful method. I really wanted to highlight that. I actually found the book by Pete Walker from Surviving to Thriving as a free PDF online, and I will include it in the show notes. So go give it a read. If you are dealing with this type of anxiety from the magical thinking of spirit world, um, that was very highly stressed within the Unification Church because it is a real thing. To, to go through. And I remember going through this it was a very paranoid, um, psychotic step for me. So just bringing language to this, I hope it helps. Um, you guys are younger. Um, did you, I think it, what's it called? This ceremony where you can pay money and write an essay after you've fallen and then it's all good again. Do you know, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes. It's the, the forgiveness, forgiveness ceremony. Yeah. Yes, because we didn't have that. I think that was the thing that scared me the most, that if once you fall, it's over, like you die spiritually, you will never be able to be with your family ever again. And that scared the living hell out of me. So to circle back um, to virginity, like if you lose your virginity, you're not ostracized only from your family and the society that you've built around you or that you're born into, but you, you sever your ties to, 
Yes. <laughs> this is some scary shit. Yeah. It's like a this spiritual death, I think yes. is what they say. Yeah. Yeah. The phrase midway position comes to mind. I hadn't <laughs> thought about that in years. And it just, what is that? The midway uh, position is like God you're... and Satan. Oh, Lord, have <laughs> so mercy. Your ancestors and all the, the spirits that are attached to you are pushing you in one direction or the other with every single thing you do. Like, Everything. oh, you masturbated today? A little bit closer to Satan. Here he comes. Oh, oh, you put on lipstick today? No, you didn't. You know you're at a workshop environment. Who are you trying to attract? <laughs> wow that that sentence that you just said of who are you trying to attract just kind of like <laughs> brought back memories I feel like I've I've been personally attacked with that sentence before oh my yeah. gosh or just like maybe at workshops you know um yeah with, I lectures, think you're with lectures like oh sisters who are you trying to attract you know right with your yeah with your teenage bodies like <laughs> One of the things that purity culture does is like puts the responsibility on females, assigned females at birth, whatever. Um, but like you were boxed into a very specific, you know, gender identity and role. And then definitely if you were considered a woman or a girl, it was your responsibility to not like lead the brothers astray, right? Like to not tempt them with your womanly... <laughs> like whatever essence <laughs> um, and you had to like cover up and you had to like not make yourself attractive or you were making, you know, you were creating a problem for the guys, you know? I have a question for you, US people. Mm -hmm. um, whenever we had a workshop that was longer, uh, longer than a couple of like, like whenever we had a workshop that was longer than a week, by the end of it, we would have like kind of a, disco situation happening and we call it a rock out so some older harpies would play music and then we would dance to it but they would specifically instruct the women <laughs> not to do the snake dance quote-unquote <laughs> um, which is just you know shaking your hips suggestively but um, I remember trying not to dance with my hips Oh. And it's hard, man. It's so hard. Oh, so shit. I basically ended up head banging because I was a metalhead and there was a lot of rock happening. So that was my way of not doing the snake dance in front of oh the brothers. God. Wait, was it because you of guys Satan have that? Being a snake? <laughs> no, Don't it's do just doing snaky movements with your snaky <laughs> snake body. I don't know what they were thinking. All right. So this is a part one of a two part panel. Um, it's another hour. So I'm going to cut it off here with the snaky snake bodies and uh, we will come back next week with part two. This is a lot to handle. So please prioritize self care. We've touched on so many different topics that could be triggering. And I hope you know that you are seen and you are valid and you are not alone. We will see you next week please email reneethomasart at yahoo.com for any feedback or any topics that you would like us to touch on. Catch you later.